Today's passage is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5, and it can be found on page 6 of your bulletin. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough plains a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to your word, we do not come in our strength. We come in your strength. We don't come with our understanding. We seek your understanding. And so, Holy Spirit, be in these words. Make them alive to us and bring true comfort to us this Christmas Eve. It's in your name we pray. Amen. When we lived in Florida, one of our favorite restaurants we would go to was called Squid Lips. And it was on a river. And it had a man-made beach with these big rocks that kind of bordered. The kids would love to get on those rocks and jump from rock to rock and run across them. And, and um, my, my older two would do that quite proficiently. But my younger one, uh, Miles, at the time, uh, was not so uh, courageous. And so uh, one time I was watching him and he could climb up onto this rock, and uh, he was standing there kind of wobbling, and, and I walked over, I said, hey, buddy, do you want me to take you by the hand? Do you want to hold my hand, and you can jump from rock to rock? So I took him by the hand, and he jumped from rock to rock to rock to rock, and as he was jumping and running, he became more courageous and more daring. When I had taken him by the hand, he found a comfort he found a stability, he found a trust, he found a courage because he knew that his dad had him. One of my callings as a pastor is to bring comfort to God's people. There's something I used to say, I've heard it before and I'm not going to say it ever again because I don't think it's right and it's this. My job is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. I don't think that's true. I think that's wrong. And I think the Bible teaches the exact opposite that everyone is afflicted. We read it in our call to worship. We're gonna see it later on in the worship service that everyone has an affliction and everyone needs the comfort of Christ. That comfort, though, is not a comfort of an easy life or trying to take away the pain of the situation. The comfort that I am to preach and the comfort that we will see in these words is a comfort that brings courage. I want you to remember, during our time of Advent, we've been looking in Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet who's writing to a future people, a people who are going to be in captivity, in exile. They're going to have deep longings for justice and for freedom and for peace and for comfort. Isaiah's words, when he originally wrote them, mean something very little to the people of the age. In fact, right before the passage that Deborah just read to us, at the end of chapter 39, the king of that time says this, we live in a time of peace and security. 
You see, Isaiah's words mean very little to the people at the time, but they meant the world to the people of the future, the people who were in longing and waiting. You know, that is why we are to read our Bibles every day. We read our Bibles every day because some days we open, them up, we open it up and we read it and it's like, that's it. That's exactly what I needed to hear. Many times we read it and we say, I don't even know really what's going on in this passage. But later on, through the power of the word, we start to remember, oh, that's what God meant. These words from Isaiah in Isaiah 40, when he wrote them, mean were not very applicable to the people of the age, but they were a huge encouragement to the people of the future. As God's people sat in darkness, as they waited for him to return, they asked three questions, three questions that resonate deep in your heart as well, which is this, does God want to deliver us? Can God deliver us? Will God deliver us? In the waiting, that is when we remember God's words and God's promises. It's the same for us in our captivity, in our dark days. We have to remember these two words, comfort, comfort, my people. I want to give you a definition of comfort. Comfort does not mean ease or pain-free or relaxed. It is not the kind of comfort that we necessarily think about. When we think about comfort, we think about comfy socks, right? That's all I want, just a pair of comfy socks, right? Like they don't slide down my leg, like the, electric, the, the, electi, the uh, elastic is good and strong and they're comfy and they're warm. That's what I want. I want a comfy sweater, right? A sweater that you put on, you're like, man, that's comfortable. It just fits right. We want a comfy chair, a chair that you can just sit in and relax. We want a comfortable life. We don't want to be too rich, but we certainly don't want to be too poor. We just want to be comfortable. The comfort we want is no hassles, no hurry, no pain. We want warm and fuzzy. But the comfort that God brings is so much more than that. It is a consolation, a support that brings courage in dark times. It's not a release from pain and suffering, but a strength to keep going through pain and suffering. God comes to his people and commands comfort, comfort for his people. Not an easy life, not even a suffering-free life, but a comfort that brings courage and support to keep going, especially when life is hard and sad and sorrowful and suffering. So where does this comfort come from? This comfort in this passage comes from two things. Knowing that God has forgiven you and knowing the presence of God with you and that God, his very presence is with you. Let's look at this first one in this passage. Comfort comes from the forgiveness of sins. Comfort speaks to the heart with compassion, not condemnation. Look at verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Who's he talking to here? He's talking to his prophet. He's talking to his pastor. He says, Isaiah, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. 
Isaiah uses this name Jerusalem because remember, names matter. Because Jerusalem is not known for being a good and kind people. Jerusalem was actually, when it was used in the prophecies, in the books of of the prophets in the Bible, when they use the name Jerusalem, they're referring to the evil of the people. the, uh, The oppression of the people. The lies of the people. The rebellion of the people. The injustice of the people. God is telling Isaiah to go to a people that have acted rebellious and villainous towards God and toward their neighbor and speak tenderly to them. And what is he supposed to say? He's supposed to say the war is over. They are now at peace. Look at that in verse 2. That her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned. And she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Advent brings the word comfort. Because the word comfort encourages us. Reminds us that we are forgiven. That we have peace with God. That our penalty of our sins has been paid. In ancient pictures kind of went down a rabbit hole a few weeks ago in ancient pictures of the church there are pictures of Jesus in a manger surrounded by animals and and Mary and Joseph and shepherds and wise men but always in these pictures these ancient pictures of Christ there is always a cross because you cannot have the cradle you cannot have Christmas without the cross Because that is why Jesus Christ came. He was on a mission to the cross to pay the penalty of our sin. Last week we talked about this. We talked about how God deals with your sin totally and completely. That is why he says here, Jerusalem, you wicked ones, you have received from the Lord's hand double for all your sins. One pastor says it this way. Imagine a piece of paper. And it says sin on it. Maybe if you get more personal, imagine a piece of paper with all your sins on it. And what the image is, is God taking that sin and doubling it over. Folding it over. And as he folds those sins, he covers them completely. But what does God see in their place? He sees the name of Jesus. The one who on that cross took all of your sin and then gave you all of his perfection, all of his righteousness. Psalm 103, 12 says this, As far as the east is from the west, so far do I I remove your transgressions. Colossians 2, 14 kind of dovetails into that. So in this passage, in in the psalm passage, God is saying, I take your sin and I cast it as far as the east is from the west. And then in Colossians 2 it says, how does he do that? By canceling the record of debt. If any of you have debt, you know what the record of debt is. You've got to pay for that debt. That debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside Nailing it to the cross. The way that God brings comfort to us is by saying, 
you are a sinner and I am going to deal with all your sin. And now your jail term is over. You owe nothing. You are free, but not by your efforts, by grace, laced love. God's comfort to you is grounded in forgiveness comes from grace-laced love. Grace-laced love is a word that, or a phrase that I heard this week um, from a guy that I've known for a couple of years now, and his name is Bishop Aaron Blake. Bishop Blake is a big proponent, he's a big champion for adoption and fostering of children. And he has six bio kids, he also has six adopted kids. He adopted six local boys from a football team that he was, uh, he was, uh, involved with. He was like a chaplain of the team. He met these boys, saw that these boys were not in good situation, and so he started to foster them. He ended up adopting them. These boys are now all grown, and they have their own families, but they say, they admit that when they came into uh, Bishop Blake's house, they were not good kids. They did a lot of bad things. One of the worst things that they did was they standing on the other side of the street after everyone had escaped the house, and he watched as his house the house that he bought, the house that he raised six children in, the house that he had many Christmases and many birthdays, a house full of memories and things that he had provided for his family burn to the ground. And he looked at those six boys and they were terrified. One of the boys kind of recounts his side of the story. His name is Diego. And Diego says, we were terrified because we had been removed from houses for a lot less than burning them down. And as Bishop Blake looked at them and saw how scared they were, he said, boys, get in the car. We're going to Walmart because you need new clothes. The next day, the boys came home from school and they went to the, uh, the little um, hotel that they were staying in. And again, they were expecting to be t- removed from this home. And as they got there, as they were sad and as they were terrified, Bishop Blake sat them down on the bed and he explained to them something. He said, boys, I want to explain this word to you, engrafted. Engrafted is when you take a plant, a tree, and you make a cut in it. You take another tree and you stick that tree in that, that first tree and you bind it together and then they grow together and you can't separate them. And he said, boys, you have been engrafted into my family. Nothing can separate you from my love, no matter what you do. Grace-laced love. Diego, as he tells this story, he cries on the video that he tells a story on because he says these words were of great comfort to him, that nothing could separate him from the Father's love. The comfort that God brings at Advent in the waiting, in the sadness, in the heaviness of your life is that when you put your faith in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ, then he says you are forgiven, which means you have been engrafted into his family and nothing can separate you from the love of God. The Advent word of comfort is a tender word for you to keep believing that nothing can separate you from the love of God. But do you know something? Words are never enough for God. God could have just given us the Bible and said, now believe it. 
But words are never enough for God. God has to show us that comfort. And so he comes to us. That's what this passage tells us. Comfort comes from knowing you are forgiven. The second part of this passage describes this superhighway of salvation that God is building in order to bring comfort to his people. Look at it with me. It says, a voice cries, in the wilderness prepare a way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Notice it goes through a wilderness. It goes through a desert. The wilderness in the Bible is a very special place. Because God brings people into wildernesses to experience a deeper presence, his deeper presence, his deeper love. The Israelites wander for decades in the wilderness. A lot of prophets end up in the wilderness. King David lived in the wilderness for a time. Jesus Christ himself goes into the wilderness to do battle with Satan. And you and me, are taken into wildernesses. We are led into times of our life that are barren, that seem desolate and lonely because that is where God is going to meet us. One of my favorite passages about the wilderness is Hosea 2, verses 14 through 23. I'm not going to read this whole passage because it's long, but Hosea 2, 14 through 23 It starts with this. God says this. It's a very strange, but a very beautiful. He says, therefore, behold, I will allure her. That word literally means seduce. It literally means woo. I will woo her, my people. That's who he's referring to. And I will bring her into a wilderness. And I will speak tenderly to her. When he brings her into this wilderness, the passage goes on and says, in the wilderness, that is where he renews and refreshes his people. That is where he recommits himself to his people. And then the passage ends with this. And in that wilderness, I will have mercy on no mercy. I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. In this passage, it talks about how God allures us into a wilderness in order to speak tenderly to us, to bless us, and to commit himself to us. And it ends with these beautiful words that those that don't have mercy, they will have mercy. Those who don't have a people, they have a people. And those that don't have a God, have a God. In the wilderness, we experience in John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the one who goes out into the wilderness and cries out, prepare a way for the Lord. Out there, he gives the comforting news that God is coming to his people. And look at what it says about this highway, this super highway of salvation. In verse four, it says, every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low. It means nothing can stop God from being with his people. Nothing. There's no obstacle that can stop God. There's no excuses that can stop God. He levels them out with his grace. Valleys will be made high and mountains will be made low. 
Nothing can get in the way of God redeeming his people. God's grace levels all of your excuses and all of the obstacles. And those unlevel rough places, those are your heart. Hearts that believe lies, that your sin is too great. Hearts that are restless because you don't believe that God is who he says he is. Hearts that are selfish and self-righteous. Minds that are intellectually arrogant. Minds that say, I'll choose what the Bible says. I'll choose who God is. God says, none of that's going to stop me. Your minds and your hearts are not going to stop me from coming to you. God's comfort to his people is seen in who travels on this highway. This highway is made for God, by God, to be with his people. You see, we are not traveling on this highway. We are not going to God to try to figure him out. He's coming to us to show us who he is. And he does that through his very presence, coming as a baby. That's why I wanted Miranda and Thomas to sing that song, Winter Snow, because that is exactly how Christ comes to us, tenderly, quietly, powerfully. God's comfort to his people is seen in the incarnation of Jesus Christ who comes to comfort us and to be with us and to save us. You know, those shepherds, they saw realms of angels. They saw angels singing the praises of God. But that is not what moved them. What moved the shepherds is when they saw that baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and it says they glorified and praised him because he was God. God's presence brings ultimate comfort. You know, there is something powerful about the presence, about being present. There's something powerful about being near somebody else, about just being there. Jerry Seinfeld has a Netflix show called Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It's Jerry Seinfeld picking up comedians and they get coffee together and talk. And there's one episode that I heard about, and so I watched it yesterday with John Mulaney. John Mulaney is a, another uh, comedian. And in this episode, Seinfeld asks John Mulaney, he says, So, John, are you and your wife still against children? And John Mulaney laughed, and he says, uh, We don't have children. We're not against children. And then he says, I just don't know what to say to kids. Seinfeld laughed. And he said, that is a stupid reason for not having kids. Kids just need to be fed. They just want food. Mulaney said, yeah, but then they're going to ask me, where did grandma go when she died? And I'm going to have to answer, I don't know. Seinfeld said, well, that's an answer. And then there was a pause, and then he says, you don't have to have all the answers. And Mulaney says, you don't need to have all the answers? And Seinfeld says, no, they just need you. I thought this was really profound because it is presence. What do our children need? They just need you as a father and as a mother. They don't need all the answers. Frankly, you don't have them all. 
They need you to hold them and to tickle them and to laugh with them and to cry with them and to listen to them and to hold their hands as they jump from rock to rock. They don't need all the answers. They need your presence because your presence is comfort to children. And that is what God brings to us in his presence. In his presence, we find true comfort, not all the answers, but all the comfort. That is why we read from 2 Corinthians. Look at that with me. Get out your bulletin and look at that, that passage with me. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5, talks about the God, our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. God comforts you in your affliction by sending Jesus Christ, the very presence. And Jesus Christ said, I am never going to leave you and I will never forsake you and I'm going to send one called the whole your afflictions. Because now we have peace with God. And that comfort isn't just for us. That comfort, it says in that passage, is for those around us. Church, you need to remember at this Christmas time, you have been saved from the world for the world. We have been pulled out of the world and saved and given a message and sent back into the world. And that message is that Jesus came to forgive sins, to dwell with us, and to bring us true comfort. My friend, who needs to hear that message in your life? Who do you need to speak the words of life to? The words of comfort to? Who is it that even this afternoon needs just a text message, especially this Christmas season, that they are seen, that they are known, that there is a God who loves them, who will forgive them, and can be with them. Christian, what about you this morning? Do you need that comfort? Do you need to be reminded that you are forgiven and that the presence of God is with you? That's why we're gonna go to this table right now because at this table, that is where forgiveness is and the presence of God is. Let's go there now. Father God, this Christmas Eve, comfort, comfort your people. Remind them of why Jesus came to forgive them of their sins. Jesus, your very presence with us here in this building right now with us in our hearts. Lord, let it bring a comfort to all those that are afflicted. And as we come to the table now, pour out your presence through the power of the Holy Spirit and strengthen us for the race of faith. We pray these things in your name. We pray these things for your glory. We pray these things for our good. Amen.